regardless of class, background, or educational level. If you ask the right question in a carefully created space, people will talk. And, and, and not only will they talk, they will share their most intimate truths in the company of strangers. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. This is Bishop Rob Wright, and this is Four People. Uh, I can't tell you how excited I am today to have a friend and a brother and uh, a wise uh, a wise scholar uh, with us today, Dr. Gregory C. Ellison III. Uh, Greg, glad to have you. It's good to see you, uh, Brother Bishop. And uh, we're, <laughs> I know we're on a podcast, but I can see your face. Right. Uh, and I, I know you invited me to introduce myself. I am actually Greg number two of three. Okay. And so my son is Gregory Ellison III, and uh, he's very clear to be called Gregory and not Greg. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's good to hear your voice, my friend. Well, thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and the names are important. Let's get it right. So, well, well you are a professor at Candler. Uh, you have a PhD from Princeton Theological Seminary, an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary, and an undergraduate degree from Emory. You are an Atlantan, an yes, alien. You yes, are, and, and you are interested in Christian faith, in faith, in leadership, and in something called fearless dialogue. How do you come to all of that? Well, um, it's so interesting. You know, my I am definitely the son of Gregory Sr. and uh, Jeanette Ellison. And um, I think that very unique synergy has a lot to do with, you know, my upbringing. My parents moved uh, to Atlanta at the tail end of the civil rights movement, if you could say it ever ended, um, to, um, to participate in the struggle. And so um, they had very unique approaches to uh, working in community. My mother was a, uh, a career educator. Uh, she started in the classroom working with special education students. And uh, I recall on Saturday mornings uh, going down to SCLC headquarters and working with my mother, uh, whether it be stuffing envelopes or walking the community. She work specifically with SCLC women and their education wing. Uh, my father uh, took a different route and uh, he actually uh, spent his life as a, as a CPA. He was an accountant. And what he did here in Atlanta was he kept the books for a lot of the iconic civil rights leaders. Uh, you know, uh, all of the presidents in the Atlanta University Center, uh, several mayors, uh, and uh, folks like uh, Surgeon General David Satcher and, and Dr. Uh, Joseph eccles Larry. And so um, I, I grew up eating at the kids' table uh, as a little <laughs> boy uh, while my dad did the, the taxes for uh, these folks. And so um, to, to me, um, this very unique synergy of educator, artist, and activist uh, came early in life, recognizing that um, 
there are many ways to serve community and to do so faithfully. And uh, I, I credit the, the wisdom, the exposure, the uh, integrity of my parents for helping me to expand those bounds. I hear you refreshing a Bible verse for us. Uh, some teachers, some CPAs, you know, uh, all the gifts of the spirit, all of them necessary to make sure that we continue forward as a community and take yes, care indeed. and honor, honor all the gifts. Yeah. Well, well, you know, um, I was introduced to you some, some time back uh, by a colleague. You were running, uh, uh, creating a space uh, at Emory for people to come with no judgment, no guilt, no shame, no obligation, and to talk about important questions about life. And I said, now this is a guy I want to get to know. And, and after that, it was lunch. And after that, it was several uh, conversations. But uh, what, what, what we get excited about when we get to talking is about, you know, what does fidelity look like right now? And, uh, and then we get to talking about people who are iconic, not only the civil rights people, but the people who inspired the civil rights people. So, so one, of the, one of the people that you have focused a lot on, even written about significantly, is Howard Thurman. And I'm noticing that Howard Thurman is getting a little bit more celebrity these days. So, so talk a little bit about why Thurman for you and why Thurman for us now. Yeah, what a gift it is that uh, Dr. Thurman is gaining traction yeah. um, because he certainly, as you have stated, has uh, been an unsung hero. Uh, folks like uh, the late John Lewis and uh, Vernon Jordan referred to him as the dean of the civil That's rights right. movement. Yeah. And uh, simply because um, Dr. Thurman was, uh, was not the Moses uh, kind of prophetic leader that the people of his time uh, were seeking. He instead was a mystic and uh, not one that is kind of disengaged, but one deeply embedded in uh, the soul healing of a community. So for uh, those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Thurman, he uh, was one of Dr. King's mentors and teachers. Uh, he was one of the uh, first African-Americans to travel to India and sit with Gandhi uh, and swap stories about nonviolence and um, the, the central tenets of uh, their, their different faiths. And he brought uh, a lot of that wisdom back uh, to the United States. He would go and found uh, one of the most prominent and largest um, uh, thriving uh, congregations that was uh, interracial, interfaith, uh, definitely intercultural. And, uh, you know, during that time, he would be named by uh, Life magazine as one of <clears throat> the most influential religious leaders, a black man in the 1950s, one of the most influential religious leaders in the United States. And so, Thurman uh, definitely left a significant and indelible mark on those in his time. But as of late, his work has been gaining traction um, among leaders who are seeking to uh, live lives of uh, not only integrity, but ones that are deeply connected to a fundament of faith and action. 
And so uh, I, I am grateful to have had the opportunity to edit a book that came out last year uh, called Anchored in the Current, uh, which looks at Howard Thurman as a spiritual guide, as an activist, uh, as an educator, and uh, as a mystic, uh, as a vocational guide. And uh, the, let me interrupt you right there. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and because I think, you know, for people who sort of uh, play around with what you and I play around with on a day to day, we don't really need a definition of mystic. But, yeah. but when you're talking about Thurman, I think he's one of America's, uh, you know, bona fide mystics, if not the number one bona fide American mystic. So but but explain uh, for us um, what, what you mean by mystic. Yeah, um, in my in my understanding, uh, mysticism is the ability to access God uh, in ways that are unconventional. I think that's the 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 most simple and concrete <laughs> definition uh, that one could get. Uh, Thurman would say that the mystic needs no go betweener. Wow. Right. Uh, you, you, the mystic may not need to necessarily bow their knee at a certain altar or to uh, communicate through a conduit. Uh, uh, you know, it, we might call him or her a preacher. Yeah. Uh, but the mystic realizes that God is within. Yeah. And that God has the ability to open doors that no one can shut and shut doors that no one can open because God is in us. And so there is a ready, readily available access to God, not only within us, but around us and among us. And there are continued um, altars as Dr. Uh, or as our dear friend, Barbara Brown Taylor that's would right. say, they're, they're continued altars in the world. Altars in the world. That's that exactly provide right. us divine access to God's uh, presence, uh, continued presence with us each day. And so for, for Thurman, uh, that kind of access came in uh, talking to trees, yeah, right. <laughs> but also sitting deeply with um, with all kinds of people. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. The more you read about Thurman, he had these almost like warts on his head. And you've seen pictures of him, Brother Rob. Uh, but folks have said, you know, it's almost like he had a third eye. And when I was when I was sitting and talking to Thurman, it was almost like he was looking through me. And he was fully present with me, even if it was only for a few moments. And oddly enough, I, I never had the, the good fortune of meeting uh, Dr. Thurman. He passed when I was four. Um, but when I read his words and I hear his voice and sermons and devotions, it's almost as if he's sitting there fully present with me now. Yeah. And yeah. so... Um, the, the, the book that I referenced, um, Anchored in the Current, brings together folks like Barbara Brown Taylor and, um, and Marion Wright Edelman, your dear friend and mentor, and uh, Parker Palmer and Walter Fluker, Luther Smith, others who have uh, also been uh, deeply influenced by the wisdom, the life, and the legacy of, of that 
that man who's not from this earth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or only walked lightly among us, you know, yes, or was from somewhere else, it feels like. So, so maybe you have named uh, uh, some of the reasons why Thurman is getting popular now. Uh, you know, this, this, his sense. I mean, I used to love to hear him talk about the Psalm 139, which is about the sort of, uh, you know, the, the everywhereness of God. Uh, and, and I mean, he seems to not only be the, reading the psalm, but he seems to be the one who authored the psalm, uh, the way he reads it. Hmm. And hmm. so is, is that why his appeal is peaking now is because he is talking about the everywhere nature of God, the, the no need for a mediator kind of God. And that is really striking a chord with young people in particular who are disillusioned with formal religion. Well, I, I think it's partly the the disillusionment um, and his ability to kind of talk about ways that we can unconventionally access God. But Thurman has such a broad scope. Um, uh, you know, there are many um, students who I have the opportunity and benefit to learn with who are deeply intrigued by Thurman's thoughts on vocation and discernment and call. Um, you know, one of his most popular speeches you're aware of, uh, we both quoted from time to time is the sound of the genuine. And, and what does it mean right. to really access that, that very unique and resonant voice within us that, uh, that, that is only gifted to us in all of history? And what happens when we tap into that wisdom, that source of genius that God has divinely placed within us? That is that that really um, it resonates with a lot of, of folks. I've also heard you, Brother Rob. I'll never forget. I barely knew you. We were at the Interfaith Children's Prayer Breakfast, and uh, you you spoke about Thurman's how good it is to center down, right? And so. Thurman also helps us to um, acclimate to a different pace, given the fact that in our world we are consumed by the frenzy of calendars. But I, I wanted to share with you, I, I, I knew we were having this conversation this morning. I've been wrestling with uh, a new piece of Thurman's uh, corpus that has really been giving me pause. And I, I you know, this is, a conversation we can have online and off. <laughs> That's uh, right, folks. Breaking news right here <laughs> from Dr. Ellison. <laughs> but um, I, um, I'm in this place of deep, deep uh, retrospection. And I've been thinking a lot about how my life is unfolding. And I, I turned to, um, a couple of weeks ago, Howard Thurman's book, The Disciplines of the Spirit. And in the second chapter, it's only 26 pages, he uh, writes about growing in wisdom and stature. And uh, at this juncture in this book, he talks about growth as a crisis. And this is a leadership question for me, right? He says that uh, growth is a crisis because it is a constant push and pull. And he said there is the push to uh, 
to 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 move to the unexplored, the uncharted, um, the undiscovered terrain. There's this push forward, and at the same time, growth becomes a crisis because there is this pull towards the familiar and staying put and being comfortable. And for Thurman, when this push and pull reaches this deep tension, he he says there emerges a precarious balance. And in this precarious balance, you cannot live there indefinitely because a deliberate choice must be made. Do I push forward into the uncharted terrain, even though it would cause me tension and great harm, or do I pull back and stay in the place where I am because it is familiar? And Thurman says, even if we do not make a choice, it is a choice. Right. There's no doubt about it. There's, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Friends, we'll, we'll be right back with, uh, with Dr. Ellison and more on this with four people with Bishop Rob Wright. This is Four People producer Easton Davis thanking you for listening to Four People. Four People is a space of digital evangelism dedicated to sharing the good news and leadership of Jesus Christ. Who do you know that needs to hear today's episode? Who do you want to hear it? Subscribe to Four People and keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. So you were talking about this push and this pull and not being able to live in that tension indefinitely and having to make a decision, right? Community or chaos comes immediately to mind when I think about Dr. King. And, and then, of course, uh, you know, there's that large scale and scope for, for leaders, leaders and leadership. And then there's the day-to-day decisions that you and I get to make uh, about fidelity to Jesus in the real world, yeah. in our marriage, in our finances, in how we go through our calendar. And so, and so what has that meant for you personally? Because when you started to share your own personal story, you beat me right to it. I was going to say, one of the things I like about you is you take these big ideas about what it means to be faithful and you try to press them down into what is deliverable and livable. And so I see you doing that for yourself. And so, so how is, uh, how is uh, Thurman blessing you with the push and pull of making a decision. How have, what decisions have you made based on that, that you can share? You know, um, brother Rob, the push and pull is a daily struggle. Yes. Um, we have not yet emerged from a pandemic. That's right. Um, but there are those among us who act as if we have, um, And there is this constant push and pull on how do I live and engage in community in a non-judgmental way? Yeah. How do I not give up on folk who think and breathe and live differently than I do? It's almost as if uh, we inhabit different hemispheres 
even though they live right around the corner. Uh, or different planets. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thurman is out there on a different planet. I, I don't give them that credit. Maybe we're in a different hemisphere. Um, okay. And, and so uh, the, the push and pull is how, how do I remain engaged in community uh, with people who seem so distinctly different theologically, politically, uh, you know, even if, if we think about finances and, you know, how, how do we how do we remain engaged with people who feel as if they are from uh, they, they enter the conversation at just such a different point? And this is this is really important for me because I, I founded an organization called Fearless Dialogue. So how do I remain hopeful um, in conversations? Uh, when, you know, there are people who are so strident in their position that they don't even have the, the, the propensity to have an open mind. To well, change. you know, this, this, this is, this is, I'm so glad you got there. I mean, I, I, I it's, it seems like you're reading my notes because you keep moving right to the next point. And, and, and it seems like watching you, especially over the pandemic, it seems like the choices that you have made, the push and the pull is to stay engaged, to double down, and not only to double down personally, but to invite other people, right, uh, at this time in our nation, political upheaval, racial reckoning, uh, global pandemic, as you said, strident views on either side of all of those issues, you have decided to double down, right? That is to grow, to be in conversation with people, and not only to be in conversation with people, but to develop right? Uh, a scaffolding uh, on which people can sort of stand and figure out how to stay together. So, so you've gone from these academic concerns, right? And the, and the writing and so on, now down into people's lives. So, so talk about fearless dialogue. What is the purpose of fearless dialogue uh, and what you've learned over, over these last, uh, you know, uh, two years? And brother Rob, I, can can I can I push pause on that one real yeah. quick because Spirit is telling me that somebody needs to hear this. Okay. Before we move forward, uh, you you asked about tangible strategies in this precarious balance uh, in our crisis of growth, um, and what what emerged from within is. Um, the necessity to find our pace. And, um, and I think this is a leadership question, but it is also a discipleship question. Jesus moved at a different pace. And uh, when many were walking 40 steps per minute, Jesus invited us to walk 25 and, and watch the birds of the air, the grass of the field. Um, and I wonder how much do we miss in life because we're moving with the frenzy as opposed to creating a different step. And I'll offer a quick example, and we can jump into FD in a minute. Um, I had a professor. His name was Bob Dykstra. And uh, Dr. Dykstra was actually my, my uh, dissertation advisor. He taught pastoral care and counseling at Princeton Seminary. 
And Dr. Dykstra, he marched by the beat of his own drum, and okay. he still does. Okay. But I recall <clears throat> one uh, one semester during finals time at Princeton. You would just imagine that students are running around with their eyes bucked, you know, from drinking too much coffee and uh, and not getting any sleep. And it was just a quick pace on campus, and everybody was flustered and. Dr. Dykstra went on this spring afternoon, sat on the chapel steps in the middle of the quad, pulled out a novel, and began to read. And because of the symbol of him being a pastoral care professor, reading a novel on the quad in the middle of finals, people began to just come and sit on the steps and take deep breaths, listen to their music, slow their pace, and then, as Thurman might say, enter back into the traffic of their daily round. How might one person who is deeply in touch with the push and pull of life alter the the pace of many? And so I, I see you doing that on a daily basis um, and, you know, hearing of all of the times that you, would, you know, um, stop the, 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 the routine work of ministry to stand with those outside of a prison uh, during an execution um, of one of our beloved brothers or sisters in Georgia or to, 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 to jump on the back of a garbage truck. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a different pace. And it alters how people see the world. You know, what does it mean that this bishop is dumping garbage, right? But it, it expands our possibility, our imagination of, of how we exist with each other. And so um, what does it mean for us to move and to live at a different pace, 25 steps instead of 40. Um, my bad, bro. It was just the, the spirit was guiding well, no, I, me that I, I really appreciate that. You, you've named something for me. And so before we get into fearless dialogue, you, you've named something for me. And, and one of the things that is, that is enigmatic for me as a preacher mm-hmm. is to listen to Howard Thurman's cadence as mm-hmm. he speaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, his cadence... Uh, is gracious and open and what what some of us might call who have moved here from New York, like myself, slow. But, <laughs> but, 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 but it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more in line with breath. And he seems to be wanting to be conduit for more than just lots of words, right? He doesn't seem to be mindful of word count. He seems to be more mindful of word quality, right, in the whole conversation. So, so you're you're on to something, and and you know, and uh, I think again, the story that comes to mind is is that 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 Jesus is walking, and he's walking at a particular pace with his disciples, but stops for the person uh, with pre-existing health conditions, and stops for the young, and stops for the infirmed woman, and stops for you know. Etc. 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 And then tells a story of a man who stops 
to care for a neighbor on a road. And so there's this thing about that's implicit in Jesus's way to be Jesus that has to do with a different cadence than organized religion, because he's, he's always doing that uh, to the chagrin of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and a different cadence from the political sort of overarching system uh, in his hometown. So I think, I think that was a, don't apologize for that, that was a great little off-ramp right there. I think you said something. Yeah, and you know, this morning, uh, in the midst of our daily drop-off routine, uh, my teenage son uh, actually uh, lost his mind temporarily, <laughs> and uh, and he and he he kind of said something to me, and it was very kind of terse, and his tone was off. And so I and sitting in the parking lot, you know, having a teaching moment with him. That's what I, I prefer to call it—a parenting teaching moment, as opposed to a, a yelling at him, but it was a teaching moment. And it, it kind of reminds me that these kind these divine interruptions are actually things that are most important in life. Yeah. It's actually, <laughs> you know, when we it's interrupt actually the routine, yeah. it is life and being attentive that you can't recapture a moment once it is passed even though it's not pinned into your schedule. Yep. I, I had, I was blessed early on in my, in my ordained ministry. Uh, I had a very wise mentor, Walter Eversley, a systematic theology teacher. And uh, he was telling me a story that someone had told him about a young pastor who was in his study and was writing a sermon or writing something else and, and a knock on the door and an interruption and a knock on the door and an interruption, et cetera, et cetera. And the, and the young pastor was lamenting and complaining about all of these interruptions until a wise pastor got a hold of him and said, no, son, a teaching moment, as you prefer to call them, said, no, son, that actually is ministry, right? It's the, it's, so it's not necessarily the neat and tidy paragraphs, although those are important. You know that as an author. But it is also this thing about real life. I mean, that's what we celebrate Jesus for, right? He was able to get involved in the real life of people, in the real lives of people. So, so let, let's make a quick shift then, so, because I, I want to make sure we get this in before our time is up. So, so uh, you decided as an academic uh, to, to, to uh, move now into creating a program where, where you're pausing uh, a very successful academic life uh, to get involved in the real lives of people and begin to build capacity in people to have conversations about stuff that is really hard to talk about. Say something about that. Yeah, well, my colleagues would be very uh, critical to say I'm not pausing. Uh, I'm, I'm actually running concurrently. Concurrently, let's do that. <laughs> One comment right. to me, right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, fearless dialogues, what we, uh, what we seek to do is to create these really unique spaces for unlikely partners, uh, folks who don't normally talk, to engage in hard, heartfelt conversations about taboo subjects. And um, the, the organization started uh, actually not as an organization, but as a call to action. It was um, out of a sense of discontent. I, in, in 2013, you'll recall um, 
the Zimmerman verdict was uh, about to be announced about uh, Trayvon Martin's uh, murder. And um, I was, as a young professor who had written a book about young black men, was being invited onto all of these uh, you know, television shows and to offer these comments on radio. And folks would say, hey, Greg, and you know this because you, you do a lot of media stuff, Brother Rob. Say, Greg, you have about 30 seconds to, yeah, right. <laughs> to share your thoughts. And then about eight seconds into talking, somebody would start yelling at me. And I was like, wait, wait, hold up. You know, what, what's going on? And I, I really got, you know, uh, disconcerted by that. And I, I said, this is not a healthy model of conversation. There has to be another way. And so um, I, I went on to our local NPR conversation, a local NPR, and we were having a conversation about the Zimmerman verdict. And I said, hey, if uh, if you're going to march this Saturday to our, the state capitol with your hoodie and your, your Skittles and your sweet tea, that's the right thing to do. Uh, but if you're not marching and you want to have a hard conversation on how to uh you know, create spaces for young people in our community. Come on over to Emory. And um, and uh, over 300 people showed up. And um, that was the start of something. People didn't want to leave. And we used music and art and um, these really engaging, interactive uh, conversations. And people didn't stop talking. And so we recognized we stumbled into something. And so uh, eight years later, Brother Rob, we've worked with nearly 60,000 leaders in corporate spaces like, you know, the MBA and Shell Oil Company with large denominational bodies like the Council of Bishops for the United Methodist Church and executive presbyters. We're uh, really looking forward to the work that we'll do with uh, the Episcopal Church here in Atlanta and uh, even the archbishops uh, team over in 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 in, uh, in London, and so we're we're really grateful for this opportunity to help people to name some of the fears uh, that stifle hard conversation, and use some of our research and experience to give them strategies to navigate around those conversations, whether it be in the boardroom or uh, the classroom, or even at their dinner table at home. And so it's, it's been uh, a really uh, bold step of ministry uh, to, to be engaged with uh, these leaders as they wrestle with hard topics from race and racism to sexism and homophobia to classism, which comes up a lot nowadays in these conversations. So I'm, I'm really blessed uh, to be a part of a team. Of, uh, of animators. We seek to bring conversations to life uh, uh, and, and, and really engage communities in hard conversations. Well, before we go, I, I got to ask this one question. I mean, you've written, you've spoken extensively, um, uh, and you've been delivering this. I wouldn't say stumble in. I would say spirit led you into something, right? And, uh, and, 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 it, and you were equipped to stand in that space. So that's why spirit trusted you. Uh, and so I, I want to say, what's the most surprising thing you've learned in sitting with people over these last eight years, people, all kinds of people about fearless dialogue, about the, the need to talk? What, what's the most surprising thing you've learned? 
regardless of class, background, or educational level. If you ask the right question in a carefully created space, people will talk. Yeah. And, and, and not only will they talk, they will share their most intimate truths in the company of strangers. But you have to ask very carefully scripted questions like, who am I? Yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. At Thurman's question, what do I want really? Right. <laughs> not, not what do I want? What do I want really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, or how does it feel to be a problem? These kinds of questions hit bedrock, as Parker Palmer would say. Yeah. And they, 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 they walk on the surface of the soul. And so if you create the space that welcomes people to share their most authentic truths, even those who feel divergently opposed to anything you have to say, something compels them to speak. Uh, and that surprises me every single time we go into a session. Like you never know what people are going to say. And, uh, and people share truths that liberate them. It is. It is. It is truly amazing that that uh, I know. You know, without being a part of Fearless Dialogue, I know what you say is true in my own experience, and it is. It is the great leveler. It is. It is the great. I mean, it, it helps you really believe in the commonality of every of all the human family. When you get down to that bedrock, you realize people want to be loved. People want to be seen. People want to be understood as having dignity people want justice and fairness for themselves and and you know to get down to those places i like to say is is holy it's it's you know you you know you're walking on holy ground when somebody gets something that's real in the room uh so so i just want to say you know dr thurman said what do you want and what do you want really what i wanted from this conversation today was to have some fellowship with a brother Someone that I, I look up to and that I respect and that I appreciate your contribution. Uh, I'm glad that we have you in Atlanta. I'm glad you're a resource to the people here. You're produced here, developed here, schooled here, and you're giving back here and not only here, but everywhere. So again, just I can't say thank you enough. Uh, where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Yeah, um... Before I say that, I, I want to say thank you for being a teacher to me and being an accessible teacher, right? Uh, for uh, us being able to speak in ways that uh, are authentic to our being. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you, you, know, you know exactly what I'm talking I about. Do. But, I do. Uh, I do. Thank, thank you for allowing me to speak authentically in your presence. Uh, if you if you'd like to learn a little more about Fearless Dialogues, friends, uh, feel free to join us on our website, www.fearlessdialogues.com. Um, I'm accessible through uh, the Emory website. Shoot me an email if uh, if I could be of service. And uh, thank you again, my dear brother Rob, uh, 
for being a fellow sojourner uh, on this quest. Absolutely. God bless you, friends. This is For People with Bishop Rob Wright. Thank you.